Hello and welcome to Women of Silicon Valley, the podcast. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Ava Wilson. Ava is a first generation American. She followed a really courageous and nonlinear path from administration to a JD and engineering, going on to become the founder of SokaMom.com, a community for families of Caribbean descent and the founder of the Soka Mom Summit the first conference of its kind to address the concerns of the Caribbean diaspora. Ava, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> uh, I, I would love to start a little bit with your, your path to where you are now. Um, so how would you describe what's gotten you to where you are at this moment? Wow. Well, it's it started a lot earlier than um, most people think. When I look at how kids are starting with computers and technology now, it wasn't like that 30, 35 years ago. You know, it, there was certain people that had access to technology. And my mom uh, was a pediatrician and she ran her own office and she was an early adopter of technology. She loved everything that lit up. So she wasn't um, a citizen until well after I was born. So yeah, I am kind of like the, I was an American before she was, I guess. <laughs> but um, she was very, very focused on the next thing, the new thing, and to, to really get her office to be paperless. So she would bring that thought process home and she brought home an Apple II Plus computer. So those of you who are like Apple and Mac, just, you know, it, obsessed, that was really all we had besides like the Commodore 64. And that didn't really, that wasn't the most powerful thing in the world. So, so anyway, she brought home this Apple II plus and we were learning basic in school. We were learning to code in basic. Mm -hmm. And I was just so excited to build things that didn't, it, it was it was a weird place to be. And I think it feels normal to kids now that you can make something and, you know, it, it just it's just this thing that exists on a screen and you have another brain outside of yourself that's working. So I was just really excited to do that. And I would sit, um, instead of going outside, I would be in the house making quizzes for my brother and demanding that they take them. And of course they were not interested, but... <laughs> You know, I kind of got computers became that that my my thing. And then after that, you know, we moved through the cycle of computers onto the PC and that kind of thing. And then when I got to college, my computer went with me. It was just a part of who I was and an extension of how I did things. You know, some people the the computer is is a, a tool, but it was kind of like whenever I thought about doing something, I thought about how it could be done easier and better with a machine of some sort. So my degree is in marketing. So I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. So I, I can do all sorts of things, right? So I was really excited when you get those CDs in the mail for AOL. And I know I am dating myself. I'm a thousand <laughs> years old, guys. So, <laughs> so um, you know, I, I, was I just kind of moved with technology. And then um, 
kind I had a child, right? Mm-hmm. I had a kid and that kind of derailed what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in business for myself. I didn't want, you know, an employer and that kind of thing. But when you have a kid, you need benefits mm-hmm. and you need health care. You need insurance. You need life insurance, all sorts of things that you need when you have a kid. So I moved and took my kid with me and I got a like just the first job I could get. It wasn't in my major. It was just a job mm-hmm. as an administrative assistant. And of course, I took my mindset of machines can fix this and do it better. And I'm looking at this system they have like, this is awful. Like there's, <laughs> there's a card catalog. I am not going through a card catalog. This is not, I'm not doing it, right? So this is my job. Mm-hmm. And you've given me a computer and you've mm-hmm. said, hey, we can use this new software. This is the software that I need. So I had taken, they had a database. Um, part of it was this card system, physical. And then another one was the uh, a DOS-based database thing, which was clunky and, and difficult to move through. And you mail merges were just impossible. And as an admin assistant, that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So I said, all right, I'm going to, change it. I am going to, and we don't even use this anymore, really access. I was going to take it from DOS and I was going to put it at access and we're going to make this system where it goes to word and it goes to the calendar and it takes the emails, and does all <laughs> sorts of things. Right. So at this point they're like, Oh my gosh, we've hired a genius. <laughs> right? We hired a smart person. And, um, and yeah, that was, that was part of the cornerstone of what I know we're going to end up talking about today was mm-hmm. you know, how, that just being smart is not always going to move you the way that you expect it to move you. But as far as getting to where I am today, it's just every idea that I have and that I've come up with, it starts with that six, seven, eight-year-old kid who looks at a computer and says, there is an easier way to do this. Yes. And so that's what I look at everything like. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I love the fact that one of the things that got you into it is just kind of this exploration idea of seeing what it can do and viewing technology as an extension of people. I think that, you know, viewing it in that way is so, it unlocks so much more and still really places a lot of value in in human beings, which is is so important right now, especially with artificial intelligence becoming something everyone's more aware of. And that's a thought I have a lot is no, 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 we're, we want technology to take away these, these tasks that are distracting people from the more interesting things, the parts of their job that they are really passionate about that require that, that human involvement. And yeah, that just, I mean, that's such a, that's similar to how I got started. I viewed coding and solving a puzzle. And it was exciting because if you put the pieces together the right way, then you had a solution that wasn't there before, but you could know it was possible. Um, But at the same time, it's, yeah, it's, it's very true that knowing that solution or being really good at the technical side is unfortunately not always all that's needed to get to a next step. And So in your interview with women of Silicon Valley, I I honestly really did tear up at reading 
the way that you discussed what happened after you did this huge technological overhaul and and what happened following that. And so if you could discuss that a bit and what you learned through that process, what advice you might give to someone who's going through something similar. So it's funny, when I tell that story, I don't necessarily feel as emotional about it as other people get Mm. about it. Because at the time, my concern was feeding a kid, you Mm -hmm. know, not feeding myself. I want my kid to be okay. I want to be able to pay for a good daycare because I'm a single parent. And that was what was important to me. So any kind of injustice or anything like that, it was just what you have to do to get things done. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I was young at the time I was probably 25, something like that. So I wasn't too, too far out of college. And, you know, I wasn't really, really thinking about what was happening behind the scenes. So, and I really wasn't even thinking about how amazing the thing was that I did. Yeah. Because I just, like you said, I think about it as this is my idea. This is the way that I want to do things. And these are the things I don't like to do. So mm-hmm. the things I don't like to do, the computer's going to do those. So that was kind of, I thought of it as making my job easier, not necessarily making their organization better. Ah, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Yes. I know. So what you're yep. they were very, very excited. They were like, oh my gosh. So we can kind of take this idea throughout the organization. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. I just need my check on Friday. As long as that thing clears, whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> So then, you know, they're all excited and the executive director comes down. I was in a remote office and they come down and they meet me and, you know, he, I heard ahead of time, he was really excited to meet the person who did all of this stuff. And let me just tell you, my name, Eva Green, it, uh, well, my maiden name, Green, with an E on the end, when people would see that name, they made certain assumptions. I was either... Mm-hmm. Eastern European, mm-hmm. you know, there it's, it, it has a, um, in the place where I was at the time, it, it kind of, you see it on a resume and people saw that I went to North Carolina A&T, but most people who aren't familiar with HBCUs would see North Carolina yes. and they assume yeah. that it is just the UNC system and mm-hmm. scan past it. So when I was hired for the job, they didn't know I was black. Okay. They had no idea. Right. And then um, he just saw my name on emails. Uh, There was no company directory with my photo. And when I was sitting, I went into the office when he got there, he went and met everybody else. And then it was my turn to go to the office. And he just kind of sat there and looked at me for a minute as if he couldn't believe what he was seeing. (laughs) And so I am still kind of, oh, maybe he's just shocked. I'm so young. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm just sitting there chatting away about, you know, how it worked and what I did mm-hmm. and what made me think to do that. And he's just still kind of staring at me like, oh, no, what is going on? Am I being punked? What is happening right now? So then, you know, he's not really saying anything. And then at some point, he's just sitting there and he goes, I had no idea you were a black woman. Oh, wow. He came right out and said it. I mean, it's like he was holding it that whole time. Like he was moving it around in his brain. He was doing whatever he could do with it to make it make sense. It was not making sense. And 
I don't remember much else of the conversation. Like he didn't have any questions for me really after that. It was just like, well, okay. And then, you know, it was not kind of a nice to meet you. And that was that. So when, um, probably about a day later, because he was visiting, you know, other donors and things like that. I was, it was a nonprofit. So he was visiting some other donors and probably the next day or two, my, the director of that location comes to me and says, I am so sorry. And I'm like, okay, what did I miss? Now, mind you, I had been uh, in my high school, probably starting elementary school, I would be the only black kid in my class, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Middle school, same thing. High school, same thing up to about 10th grade. And then 11th and 12th, I was one of two black girls in the class. So I was used to being the only one. His shock was not really my shock. I was just like, okay. And you know, he'd spoken to me on the phone before, but I have very non-regional diction. It doesn't sound like I'm from the South. It doesn't sound like I'm from New York. It doesn't sound like I'm from anywhere. And that's because my parents aren't from here. So I kind of adapt to whoever I'm talking to. If I'm talking with my parents, I sound more like them. If I'm talking with, you know, and my kids don't have an accent from anywhere either. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I wasn't stunned that he had no idea. It was something I was kind of used to. My friends, when I was growing up, thought it was hilarious that I didn't sound like I was from anywhere. So she is just apologetic and she's so upset. You know, she used to work for a human rights organization, a civil rights organization. She was just appalled. And yeah. so at this point, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I, I am. I too am outraged. I I think I should be upset about this. And then probably about a week later, it might've been a week, Mm -hmm. um, it called into the person's office who's between me and the director. And well, there was one other person between us. And uh, she says, I just want you to be aware that you're not getting any further than you are right now. You are an administrative assistant. There are no other roles and there's no way to move up, out, over. This is pretty much it for you. And are you okay with that? And I was like, you know, I mean, it wasn't, I had taken the job as an admin assistant. I wasn't taking it as a career move. I was taking it as a feed myself and my child move. So I I just said, okay. You know, but I kind of kept it in the back of my mind as, hmm, so this really is it for this organization. Because, you know, once you start to work with people and you're like, I kind of like what they're doing. I can see where improvements can be made elsewhere. Um, And as I kind of worked there for a while, I just, you know, you just feel like, well, why am I going to help them innovate? Why am I going to do anything interesting? Um, I've done enough. That's, Mm -hmm. That's really all that that I need to do. And then what really made made me leave, um, I I learned another lesson about class. Mm. In the organization, there were people, um, most of the organization, they were of a certain ethnic group. And um, how can I put this? There's class levels in in that group. Mm -hmm. The person who was doing my job before I got there was in a lower class level of that group. And I didn't do it on purpose, 
but I had kind of automated her out of her job. So I automated my job and then the job ahead of me because she moved up when I moved in and then fired her. And I was like, so I got a, a small raise and then she got fired. This was all within this, the guy comes down, he sees I'm black, this person is appalled, this person is like, hey, just wanna let you know you're not going anywhere. And, and then, you know, you've automated this person out of their job. And this was like a beloved person who had been there for maybe 15 plus years. Wow. So I am now just 25, 26, horrified by corporate America. Technology actually does take jobs. Like you said before, it's not mm. the human part of it is just, you know, because she has relationships with all these people. I was a new person. I'm So now I'm kind of feeling like the bad guy who's come mm. in and just automated the lady out of her livelihood. So, so yeah, it was an experience and it was not one that I came in to do. I really just want to make my job easier, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that is just so many unexpected results of something that it, it was it was just so that you could provide for your family. And, that was it. And yeah. I just wanted to use my brain to do that. That was really it. I was not I'm not cut out for fast food or any I tried physical manual labor. That's not, I worked at UPS before I, loading trucks. Like that's not what I'm made to do. I've tried a lot of things. Um, so yeah, I, I tried to pick something that I could kind of grow within and that didn't work out as well as I thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think in that, that case, it's so, it's so clear that the right thing to do is to take your talent to a healthier environment. Because one of the big reasons that we spend so much time talking about what struggles we've gone through is to show those going through them right now who feel isolated, to show them that this has happened to somebody with all of these qualifications, who has all of these great things now in their life, and to show that it is possible to get through them because other people have. Uh, but I do also want to provide space for you to discuss the the strengths that you have that you you bring to to like the many roles that you hold. And so for you, what uh, what specifically, if there was something specific, allowed you to see, okay, no, I am I'm a very valuable person, and this is and a valuable worker but this is not a healthy environment because I think it's so easy to get gaslighted almost or get in a mindset that, well, if somebody else doesn't believe in me, then it's harder to believe in myself. And so what was it that allowed you to really see that you are incredibly intelligent and competent and strong? Well, I would say and this is also something if, if you are in the technology field and you're feeling kind of, am I good enough to do this kind of thing? I started working on my own projects and it was kind of like, let me see what I can actually do outside of what I'm creating for this company. And that gave me a lot of confidence to try to say, you know what, A, I used to enjoy this. 
let me go back to doing stuff that I like. Let me go back to engaging human beings, right? Because at the time, I was lucky that I went to an, uh, an engineering school. And a lot of my classmates, so my classmates would be business majors, um, but a lot of my other classmates that I met throughout the school were engineers, mechanical engineers. And so they were very, they're also early adopters. They were also online. So I would try out websites just to see what I could get them to do as a marketing person. I don't know how many marketing people are listening. Our goal is to make people do stuff. Like <laughs> what can I take, what information can I take about this group of people and make them act on what I want them to do, right? So I would just create different websites. Now this is all while I'm still at this job that, you know, it, it's, it's not exciting anymore. I've already done the thing that, you know, I, I'm not into it that much anymore. So one of my first sites was who wants to marry my brother? <laughs> I made a website, <laughs> a full dating game for my brother because he was single and I wanted to see who would be excited to marry him. And it was a whole thing. Like it was, and it was so early that the people, you know, it's, it's so much, it's not like it was like it is now. That was at least, how old am I now? Mm. It was a long time ago, right? <laughs> so for people, it was really exciting that you could do these things online. Now you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, you have all this other stuff. We didn't have that. So to have something that was entertaining and gamified on mm -hmm. a website was was a trip. And it was kind of based on uh, who wants to be a millionaire. So I guess I am dating myself. It's been a while. It was a long time ago. <laughs> oh, so wow. I, I love what was his thought about the creation of this website? Well, he was raised in the same house with me and he uh, is a technical type person as well. So he was like, you know what? Go for it. I don't care. Uh, it, I mean, and he didn't marry the person that won the game, of course, but, uh, you know, he was like, fine, I don't care. Take my picture, use it, <laughs> do whatever you want with it. And it, it was like before Photoshop. I mean, people have no idea the kind of tools that they have now to build anything they want to. Mm -hmm. I think I was working out of paint or some other just, I mean clumsy sort of a thing but you know when you like like you said when you have when the machines are just a a tool they're mm -hmm. not replacing anything your creativity is what moves the machines and drives the machines and drives the technology so you know my way out really was to just create for myself and to engage outside of that company you know so just having my own projects. Yes. And I love the fact that it was a pivot that reignited that fire and excitement in you instead of saying, okay, well, it didn't work here at this company. So because of that, I'm just going to completely switch what I'm pursuing. I think that that, that takes a, an understanding of self an understanding of the situation. And so I, I also just, you know, props to your brother for not fighting <laughs> you on that. I guess after all those years growing up together, he figured it it was pointless trying to go against you on yeah. it. Like, don't argue with me. Just sit still. Let me take your picture. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to build anything. I just need you to, 
that's it. Just let me use your face. <laughs> See how it goes. So after that point, what was the the timeline like between when you started your own company, when you went to law school, um, and at the same time raising and homeschooling your children? I have always been team too much, like do too many things and just all the things. So after that, shortly after that, I was introduced by my husband. My husband is also a technical person, a computer person. And he introduced me to Mambo and then Joomla. So those were some early um, CMS content management systems. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily built for um, websites as we know them now. But back then, it was a way to not have to build every page and to not have to worry about, oh my gosh, the little template I made, there was a comma out of place, now I have to go through 100 pages and find the comma. So it was a way to kind of set things up and I could move faster. Mm -hmm. And that was huge because again, I don't necessarily need to learn, the learning the code was so that I could make my ideas materialize. That was it. It's not, yeah. for me, it's not really a love of coding. It's a love of what the code can do. Yes. So, yep. so once I had another tool and I've got a, I know enough PHP to mess some things up and see if somebody else can fix it. I'm like, okay, we're cooking with gas now. This is, this is great. So I could move a lot faster. And then I built, um, my husband and I had a technology company. This was probably three years after we got married. So we're kind of at 2008. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, about four years after we got married. So he's now giving me tools because his, he was a computer science major. I'm a marketing major. So I'm just kind of gathering what I know, reading mm -hmm. magazines, blogs back in the day, you know, what was it? Word, just some kind of pad. It was type pads, like just blogs and stuff. Yeah. Um, but he's giving me like actual tools. Last thing he needed to do. So I'm still working regular job, building websites for other people. And, um, but then uh, I, started, I, built, I built Sokomop because at this point I am now a mother of three. And I realized with my Caribbean heritage that I wasn't able to connect the way I wanted to when my son was younger and I was a single parent. Yeah. Um, the way that a lot of immigrant communities work, we weren't online early. So mm -hmm. you, to know what was going on, you had to be a part of the community. Um, you had to have a, you'd get a flyer and you'd get that flyer at another event. So you had to be at that event to know about that event. Oh. And so being a part of a community uh, was difficult when I was a single mom. As I, you know, spent some time in the DC area, I was able to connect with some family members and they were the ones that were instrumental in getting me into the community. But then I'm thinking there are so many people like me that don't have that in. They don't mm -hmm. have somebody to say, hey, you know, if you want to get some bus up shut, if you want to get some sorrel, if you want to get the foods you like, if you want to hear the music you like, this is where you go. A lot of people didn't have that. So I said, well, I'm going to build it. How about that? And so while I'm working this job with my husband, I built Sokamom.com. And it's been nine years now that I've been connecting 
people in the diaspora to Caribbean culture. And it's really what, what made it really interesting. I love analytics because I'm a marketing person. Did you do the thing I wanted you to do? <laughs> How many people did the thing I'm trying to get you to do? So um, I look at the back end and it's everybody. It's people from all over the world that are impacted by this information. You know, there's people that are getting to learn about how to make certain foods and where to go on vacation, where to buy property, where you can go to have, you know, to enjoy your of some music, things like that. It's everybody. So not only are the people that I expected to benefit enjoying it, but everybody's enjoying it. That's the wonderful thing about being online. So I did that for nine years. Mm -hmm. And then just this year, I'm thinking, all right, this time I'm bringing people together in person. Now we're doing this. Got <laughs> real excited. I got a event planner, you know, put some money in there. Cause you know, you gotta mm -hmm. have money in there. You gotta pay people. So yep. got my event planner, got my stuff ready. And then coronavirus. We're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything. Yeah. You're not meeting anybody. The people you've been interacting with for nine years that you've never got to meet, you're not going to hug them. You're not going to so much as shake their hand mm -hmm. and you're not going to be within six feet of them. Right. So the whole in-person conference was a no. Now, everyone on this podcast has gotten to know me so far. What do you think I'm going to do? <laughs> I'm going to make technology fix it. So, um, so yeah, I decided, all right, I guess we're just going to have to do this online. So it's, I was into the planning through February. Um, and then in March I said, all right, I talked to my husband, we are going to go ahead and do this. And I did the first virtual summit. Now, the wow. great thing is I've been doing it for nine years and met some amazing people. Many of them I still have not met in person and have known them for nine years. Yeah. So I called them and I said, I think you're amazing. And I we are in the middle of a crisis, especially for the Caribbean community, because a lot of us are in the medical field. Like I said, my mom was a pediatrician. Um, a lot of my family, nurses, things like that, especially in the epicenter in New York. So our communities were really, really impacted by the coronavirus. So I said, all right, we're going to get everybody together. We're not going to wait until October. And we're going to share the information that we have that can help not just us, but everybody. And wow. so we did it. 50 women. Doctors attorneys from 13 different countries oh, got together and provided a lot of free information. You know, at the time people were trying to put summits online and, and all of these different things. But again, I had kind of cobbled together all of the stuff that I had read on the blogs and all of these different things and came up with a way to make it happen. And it didn't cost anybody anything. These women donated their time, um, dealt with any technical difficulties that we had. And we were able to, and I did it again in June because we had a big shift between April when we know nothing and then June where we know a little bit mm -hmm. and we've been inside for a few months. So we had mental health experts. 
We had uh, education experts at that point, you know, in April, we're thinking, oh, we'll be back to school in yeah. August, September. By June, we're like, oh no, oh, <laughs> this might not work the way we think it is. So we had um, education experts and stuff like that. We had a lot of small business experts come on to talk about the pivot that people needed to start thinking about because mm -hmm. we know it was never going to be the same. So we had people to come on and talk about that. And over these two summits, we provided over 30 hours of free content for everybody to have access to. They could watch it on YouTube. They could watch it on Facebook. We put it on Instagram, IGTV. So anywhere that you could possibly watch a video, people had access to the content. That's Wow, that is just so impactful. And I would assume that during the shutdown, you've been seeing even more engagement with the platform as people are looking for community even more so in, in virtual forms when it's not possible in person. I am getting a lot of, um, people are watching the videos, but I'm also getting a lot of questions about homeschooling now, of course, because it's yeah. August moving into September. And like you said, I homeschooled for quite some time from the time my daughter was four. And then she just went back to public school. Um, I want to say what this, this past year. So 2019, mm -hmm. 2020, she went to school. So yeah. I homeschooled one, one, I have one son who's 21. I homeschooled him through, a, he got to college. And, you know, at that point, you're an adult, do what you want. So <laughs> you get into a school, after that, you do what you want. Um, and then, so I've kind of done everything as far as homeschooling. So I am getting a lot of questions and being invited to discuss a lot as far as how to educate kids. I've done virtual school, because again, I'm very technology friendly. So listen, if it comes through, if it's online, it's fine with me. <laughs> we did traditional homeschooling, virtual school. We did um, online public school. We've done pretty much every kind of education at home that you can do. And I transitioned my kids out of homeschool into public school after law school. Now law school, I graduated in 2017. So I've been out for three years. And um, law school I did, I know you asked me this question earlier and I didn't put that on my timeline, but <laughs> I was homeschooling at the same time that I was in law school and the last two years that we were running the tech business. And I was in law school full-time during the day. Wow. <laughs> and wow. I would not suggest that anyone do that. That's <laughs> not... <laughs> That's not best practices for sanity. I would not tell anyone to do that. Um, I know people have a lot of questions of me now because I did so many things at once and we have people who are going to have to work from home and educate your children. Yes. Um, and that it's just hard. That's all I can say. It's not an easy thing. And I can't, having done it and then some, it is not easy. And I, I feel for the people who are just now experiencing it, because even though I've done it, I'm still nervous. It's, it's not normal. It's not the way that things 
ought to be done. So, um, so yeah, the law school was kind of in the middle of there. I always wanted to be an attorney and go to law school. And what law school taught me was maybe I don't want to be an attorney. I still want to, you know, a lot of people uh, go to law school, find out they want to be in business. And that's what, that's really what I want. Yeah. I think that in terms of the trying to manage homeschooling and working at the same time, the fact that your advice is just that it's hard and that's how it is. I think that's almost more valuable than having a list of here are the five things to do to make it easy and manageable is just recognizing there. Are, that's one of the many things during the shutdown right now or during life that it's just difficult and that's how it is. And we're all just providing community in different ways to each other to kind of metaphorically sit in the dark with someone while they go through an uncertain, complicated process and that it's not always possible to run over and flip the light switch on and say, ta-da, here's a solution. Uh, so I'm really glad that there are sites like Sokomom that provide that kind of community. Are there pages right now on the site specifically about managing homeschooling during the shutdown? Is that a plan to include that content there? Well, something that uh, my friends are taking advantage of now and a few others, I have a few pages on the site about that because it's a, a mom blog. So I write about what my life is like. So I do have some resources and things like that. But also I am a person who likes to set expectations. So like I said, it's hard and it's not normal. It's not the way that we ordinarily do things. So I have a Facebook group and a website coming um, called Regular Ass Homeschoolers. I don't know if you're going to have to bleep that, but that's the name of it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's, it's called Regular Ass Homeschoolers and it's basically don't be so hard on yourself. So we have a Facebook group where people just come and kind of say, is this normal? Should I be feeling this way? You know, all these other people are so great at this. They've got homeschool rooms and the classroom set up. And I basically have the dining room table and, you know, or a, yeah. for us, like we have a, the TV dinner table, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the little fold out thing, that's the desk. It doesn't get any more exciting than that. So the group and the upcoming website is pretty much just helping people to get through and to understand it's okay to be regular. You don't have, many of us are not homeschooling our kids to Harvard. We're just not, mm -hmm. we are surviving. We don't put the kind of pressure we're putting on ourselves is, you know, we don't put that on the teachers, you know, and we're not teachers. Like that's not even our job. So that's what I'm doing. I do have some resources on the website and I have a search bar. You can just type in homeschool and some of the stuff's recent. So it's on the front page. I just did a panel with a psychiatrist, a, um, with a child psychiatrist, a mom who is for sending your children back to school okay. and a pediatrician. So all of us got together and talked about, you know, the upcoming school year and things like that. So I think that might be my most recent post since that was just a couple of days ago. Um, so yes, there are resources on there, but there will be better and more uh, 
expectation setting <laughs> resources coming very soon. But on I, Facebook, you yeah. can find us under regular ass homeschoolers. I'm so glad that exists, that that Facebook page exists, that that site is coming because there, it's so often very easy to get caught up in the highlight reel on Instagram or on Pinterest and yes. seeing how to create the most beautiful ideal setup or ideal life or ideal outing. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not how it is for most people. And you don't need to educate a student all the way to the Ivy League. And you also don't need all the bells and whistles to educate a student very well. Um, right. And so I'm really glad that you're, you're making that a more normal, well-known way of handling this time. Yeah, it's just not sustainable. You know, no. the best thing is to just close Pinterest. And mm -hmm. because if you look at most classrooms or the classrooms we were in growing up, there was no Pinterest and it wasn't that cute, you know. Oh. It was, not. <laughs> it was not, it was not that cute. The classroom was not that well thought out. It was just, and the kids who were going to go to Harvard were, were going to Harvard no matter what. The kids who were going to the military were going to the military no matter what. The kids who were going to become entrepreneurs, they were already selling candy in the eighth grade. So our jobs as parents are just kind of, you know, guide them while we're in this yes. struggle. That's, yep. and we're all in it. So yes, well, Gloria Steinem had this really beautiful quote about how children come into this world already as who they are. And it's, it's the job of a parent. And I can't really speak to this because I'm not a parent, but it's the job of the parent not to try to turn this child into somebody else, but to kind of meet them where they are and, and help them on the journey that they were already set to be on. And I, I, that is absolutely correct. If mm -hmm. my mom hadn't set a computer in front of me, I would have figured out how to get to it. I would have yeah. found what my thing was. And her role was to say, oh, this kid really is pretty good at figuring out these things. And I remember I used to collect pieces of just trash around the house. You know, like when you um, when you had toys and you would kind of twist the pieces off things that you had to put together, I would take those, I would take empty cans, I would take, and I would just build these things that were nonsensical and useless. And I would sit in front of her and say, okay, you have to listen to me tell you how this thing works. It doesn't do anything, all right? It doesn't do a single thing. But in my imagination, it did things. So when you see that, you say, okay, what tools can I give a person like this to become who they are going to become anyway? Mm -hmm. And for me, it was the Apple II Plus computer. That's what it was. Yeah, I, I love it. I think that's great. I'm going to um, transition us a little bit over into the rapid fire Q&A section to close All us right. out. <laughs> okay. uh, so... Uh, to start, what app do you find yourself using the most? Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> it's Facebook because that's where everybody is. That's my age. I'm so sorry, young people. We have driven you away the same way we drove you away from Twitter. <laughs> we will eventually drive you away from TikTok. And 
Instagram. It's, it's happening. <laughs> I mean, the getting driven away from TikTok, it's it's starting. So yes, the olds <laughs> will come and take over your stuff. Oh, so no. I'm 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 on Facebook in my territory right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next, uh, what is something small you do? every day, week or month that makes you feel more inspired? I still make things, yeah. things that are not necessarily useful, but they're things that I want to make. Um, uh, let's see, one of the bigger things I made was a like six to eight foot spider. I made that for an event um, some years ago. And then I made a really tiny version of that same spider. Um, I paint things. I have buckets full of crafts. So my offline thing is crafting. One way or another, technology or not, making things is my happy place. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast today. I, I really appreciate it. And I know that so much of your story is really going to resonate with the listeners. So thank you again for your time. And thank you so much for having me. This was fun. I learned some more things about myself. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this was good. So thank you. Thanks.